All right, thank you, Amanda. And good morning again, everyone. So as I said, we're going to do things a little differently today. And uh, the idea here, uh, I don't, this isn't going to be a lecture, okay, so it's not like, it's not like that, but it's not quite a sermon either, so we're going to have a bit of conversation, but I will be teaching as well. Um, so basically, the concept behind today is, you know, we have probably all of us some pretty clear, well, maybe not so clear, but oftentimes some pretty strong ideas about what it means to think Christianly, uh, to, uh, to have a Christian worldview. And a worldview is basically, uh, it's a word that's become pretty common, but it's a word that basically means, how do you, how do you view life? And it includes things like the idea of where do we come from? So some people think we come from nothing, right? Some people think we come from a creator God. Uh, in some cultures, you know, you have these myth stories of where the world came from and where people came from. You understand what I'm saying? And so that's a different worldview. Why are we here? The answer to that question is going to affect how you interact with the world. If you think you're here to have as much fun or gain as much power and money or to procreate or, you know, different answers to that question are going to change how you interact with the world. Where are we going? What does the future hold? How you answer that question is going to impact your worldview, how you interact with people around you. If you think that after this life there's annihilation, there's nothing, that's very different from thinking there's a heaven and a hell, for example. And it will impact how you live. And so, you know, we're, we're coming, we're not coming into, we are in a time of incredible turmoil as a nation that seems in some ways either, either more polarized or more vocally polarized than we have been in a long time. Not than ever. I mean, if you read history, which I strongly encourage because history helps you understand the present better than anything you could possibly do. Uh, there have been times like this before. This is not new, but it's more than it has been recently. And so how do we move through this time as Christians in a way that honors the Lord and allows us to be faithful to Him. Because part of a Christian worldview is that I'm here for the glory of God. You know, I'm not here for my sake. The Bible explicitly teaches that God created us for His glory. All right, so that's part of a Christian worldview. Now, on top of this polarization we're experiencing, we are also in an election cycle, in an election season. And I want to be clear here. I think I've said this the last two weeks. My goal is not to be political, but everything we talk about today will have an impact on politics. But there is a difference. There's a difference between being political and impacting politics. Does that make sense? So we're going to do our best to, to, to keep it like that. So I, when we do share, I want to encourage you, if, to, to the degree we can, let's keep it like that. Um, but... You know, again, some things will have political ramifications. And then, finally, we're also in a time where we, we have all this upheaval in jobs, the economy, the virus, all these things going on. And so it's the question really is, how do we respond and behave as a Christian in this? Okay? So... What I'd love to do, actually, let me grab my notebook because I do have some notes that I don't want to forget about. Uh, here it is. Great. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to start with a very simple question. And if you're on the Zoom call, then just type your response in the chat and Josh will... Shout it out for me so that I can write it down. But I'm going to write down, and I hopefully you can see this. We didn't really get a good chance to, to test it. But um, the question is, uh, given everything that's going on today, when you think about what it means to have a Christian perspective on the world or a Christian perspective on politics or a Christian, you know, on, on all of it, the whole thing, what are the things that jump out to you as something that's particularly 
either exclusively a Christian perspective or even just a dominant Christian perspective in the world today? What separates Christians from non-Christians? Howard, you have one. Huh? So let's just be, let's just unpack that a little because I think that covers, that's going to cover the whole totality. He said, think like Jesus. So then what does that mean? Get specific. Name a thing that Jesus thinks like that we should think like. Anyone? Sarah. Esther. All right. I heard Esther said grace, and then Josh said something back there. Oh, all right. So I'm going to put love here, and I'm going to put, the Bible tells us two things, love your neighbor and love your enemies. What's that? Yeah, so it talks about, let's, how are we, uh, yeah, and let's do something here, because I think this is important. So there's an issue in the world today, right, about immigration. That is a topic that is, uh, like, we'll just call these issues, for lack of a better word, immigration. But then the way that we think like Jesus, you're saying, and by the way, if you disagree with something someone says, just say the other one, and I'll put it up here. This is not a time to, we're not uh, judging yet. We're just getting the ideas up here. But you said a uh, love of foreigner, the foreigner. Not the band, right? The people who are coming into this country. All right, so justice, justice, mercy, and what else, Beth? Humility. What do you say, Howard? Forgiveness. Service. And I'm going to put down here, um, uh, I'll, I'll explain it. But we talked about this in our Second Corinthians series, a flattened and an inverted, and I'll explain that. Hierarchy. It's a particularly Christian idea, I believe. All right, what else? Guard your hearts. Guard your heart, okay. Guard heart. I heard another one spoken. Hope and patience. Ah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, so, yeah, I'm going to actually put two things. I'm gonna, we're, we're heavenly beings and citizens, and we can unpack that as well. I heard another. Anyone else on the Zoom call? I'll, yeah. No, passion. What was the one from Denise? Ah, wi- yeah, wisdom. That's all right. Okay. All right. And then Howard said, share the gospel. I wrote evangelism here. I'm going to write evangelism slash, uh, slash oh, that got ugly, uh, make disciples, which I think is, uh, we don't want to make them exactly the same, but they're, they work together. Anything else? Ah, yeah. Fear of the Lord. Yeah, so the biblical word, Beth, for being set apart is to be holy. How? What's that? Healers. And what's yours? Ah, heal. But you both, do we have three people saying heal? Yeah. 
Yep. And then I'm going to connect that to this here. All right, we've got a good list here. I'm going to add a couple. Ah, that was the one I was about to say. An eternal perspective. So where are we going? And then I'm going to name the one that, that Amanda said, which is that we believe that God has the final word. I love that psalm. I forget which number it is. Uh, where the psalmist is saying, why are all these evil people getting ahead? And I'm not getting ahead. But then he says, but I know the Lord is going to make things right in the end. That eternal perspective, and God has the final word. Yeah, go for it. All right, so I'm going to put righteous over here with holy. They're, they're actually different, by the way. But they're connected. Yep. So where can I put that? Yeah, I'll just put uh, a creator. Yep. That goes over here with God has the final word. He's sovereign. Oh. Sovereign is just like a very big word for being able to rule. All right. And what is the attitude about money? Yep. Anything you want to add to that, Daryl? Other than generosity? Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. The economic issues are over here. Hold, hold on. Uh, so generosity and stewardship go together. And what was yours, Gisela? Oh, Allison? Oh, perfect, perfect. And who? Ah, yes, restoration. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And we're anti, right? Anti-idolatry, right? So, so uh, let's see. I think... Um, God is sovereign, God are the final word, no idols. Maybe those are connected, maybe they're not. Jo- Josh? Only God, yeah, right. Ah, so we have a calling. We don't, we don't actually get to, it's not our job to choose what we make of our life that actually God has a say because he's sovereign because he has the final word because we're made for his glory I'm going to put his glory here what else ministers I'm going to put that over here with service and thank you Amanda for finding that for me Ah, worship. All right, we could probably keep this list going, but there's a few that I want to get in here. There's the, the, the ancient conception of what defined the Lord was three words, and they were interconnected and related to each other, and it's truth, goodness, and beauty. Okay. Love, yes. Love neighbor, love enemies, love foreigners. That he is love. Yeah, so let's put that as a... um, um, It's both the verb of love and, yeah, a, a personal noun. Right. So we are loved. And then love. We could, we could do this all day, right? Um, something we talked about, uh, as believers, we think, and you look at the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, uh, we talked about this in our prayer time on Tuesday. You know, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are persecuted. 
That's not the list that we think of when we think of blessed people, right? All right, when you do hashtag blessed, you don't say, my car broke down today, hashtag blessed. Right? But that's what Jesus says. And so there's this idea of uh, there's, a, there's a goodness in bearing pain, but also a goodness in bearing joy. And those two things are not opposites. Um, this might get me in trouble. Are humans basically good or basically not good? Huh? Right, we have a dual, a dual challenge. We're image bearers. But we're also fallen. That matters. And broken, yep. But we can also be healed. It's this really challenging, complex perspective on humanity, isn't it? All right, so let's, let's put that on pause. So this is, these are some of the biblical ideas of what it means to have the mind of Christ. What are the issues that Christians get really excited about or get really angry about or get really whatever about? Right to life, yeah. And I, if we're going to be really nailing, you know, pinning it down, we're primarily, I, I would say a lot of conservative Christians talk mostly about right to life for the unborn. And when you talk to believers who tend to be a little more progressive, they also talk about right to life in the rest of life. But we do see a bit of a divide there. But they're both present in, in, in the church. Um, so this would be like, this usually comes out in like justice issues. And there's different aspects of that. All right, what else here in this, the issues side? Individual rights. Self-governance. All right. Um, yeah, I'm going to put self-governance up here. And I'm sure there's a lot of ways that plays out. So it plays out in economics. It plays out in, in government. It plays out in legal battles like uh, uh, freedom of religion. So sometimes there's different freedoms that encroach upon one another. And how do you decide which freedom takes precedence over the other, right? Or which right takes precedence over the other? How, yeah, so how do you see that as a, as a social issue right now? Yeah, I see what you're saying. So that just kind of like what we've been talking about the last two weeks, how do you know what's true? Yeah, so I, I, what I don't see, and I think not to invalidate in any way what you're saying, what I don't see is I don't see that coming out as like a huge issue where Christians and, and non-Christians are necessarily fighting over that, but it's more like there's specific issues that they're fighting about. So I wanna, again, I want to try to be specific. Equality. What do you have, Josh? R- racism? Yeah. I just missed you. I'm sorry. Yep. It it can. Right. So same-sex marriage. This kind of like hate as a um, propagating hate. Okay. Anything else? Yeah. Environment. That's all right. I should have done it in a different color. Um, yeah, let's stop there. Just because we don't have more space.
All right, but I don't, know if, I don't know if you guys at home can see this. I don't know if you here can really see this. But we've got these issues over here, and I think we could go longer, but here's what I do also think. I think that this list will never be as big as this list. Okay? But I also notice that Christians seem to spend most of their time, and I'm, you know how 95% of statistics are made up? I think we spend like 90% of our time on this stuff in the public sphere. And we spend very little of our time on this stuff in the public sphere. So let me ask you, what do you think about that? Do you, do you agree with that assessment? Is that a, you know, forget the number. Do we spend most of our time in the public sphere on this stuff as Christians? Why? Is that? Yeah, so Josh says probably because we don't spend enough of our private time on this stuff. And I think, I think that's probably true. I have taken a worldview course, for example, a Christian worldview course that spent all of its time on these things and never talked about these things. And it basically what it became, and this is what's going on in our culture right now, is that we are hyper-focused on things that are political, and we are not focused on things that relate to our character. And the world used, the, the country used to not be like that. As a nation, we used to talk a lot more about character than we did about politics. And what's interesting, and when you read, and I encourage you, read history. You need to read history. When you read about the founding fathers, the founding fathers talk more about this character type stuff than they talk about the, the issues. And you can read things like, John Adams. Now, John Adams is a tricky guy. I think John Adams was probably a believer, uh, but it's a little hard because he was also a New Englander. And in that time, if you were a New Englander, that meant you were the son or daughter of a Puritan. And whether you were a believer or not, you had that in your veins and in your thinking. It was your worldview, even if you didn't believe. But it looks like he actually believed. But he said things like this. He said, the democracy we're creating will only work as long as the populace are people of character. So he was more concerned about cultivating character in the U.S. than he was about getting certain issues figured out. And you know, democracy is an interesting thing. I don't know if you've heard this quote from Winston Churchill. Democracy is the worst form of government except all the others that have been tried. And I would suggest to you that part of our Christian perspective, especially when we talk about being both image bearers but also fallen and broken, Christians should have a natural distrust of any government that is not the government of Jesus Christ. This should just be part of what it means to think like a Christian. Um, but here's the catch. You also have to equally distrust yourself. And then you also, as a Christian, need to hope that you can get better by the power of Jesus, but then also hope that others can too. It's this challenging perspective that we have to... It's kind of like, um, you know, when you cross a really fast-moving water, like a river... It's hard to stay in one place, isn't it? You have to stay in one place in some of these things, and it's not going to be easy because the currents are going to push you in all sorts of directions. Or even just, you know, standing in the ocean. You know, I remember that scene from The Karate Kid where he's working on balance and he's out in the waves doing his crane move, and the waves knock him over, and it knocks him over, and it knocks him over. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. The waves are going to come and they're going to try to knock you out of, out of your, the place God is inviting you to stand. And what would be so easy is when we get knocked off that place to just stay down. So we either 
just fall on the side of, well, we're going to trust government. And of course, it's always our preferred political party that we trust and not the other one, right? Or we just go to a place where we don't trust anybody and we never hope for anything better and we go into despair. Despair is not from the Lord, but neither is this unfettered optimism in other, in other or ourselves, other human beings. Does that make sense? So do you see how now a little bit of our worldview is going to impact how we approach these issues? So, for example, let's take economics, for example. Daryl, you brought that up. What is the Christian perspective on economics? <laughs> no pressure. So Daryl's saying generosity, trust the Lord, not trusting yourself to earn money. What was, was there another one? That you, stewardship. stewardship, yep. How you steward. I would add that you hold things with open hands. It's not really yours. That's the stewardship piece. But when we get into the public sphere, what do Christians talk about in economics most of the time? Taxes and, and how much we hate communism, right? And how capitalism, I would say most conservative Christians are very pro-capitalist, strongly anti-communist. Now, I'm not here to change your view on that, whatever it is. And I'm not even here to say, um, oh, I'll just put it this way. In the scripture, you have a lot of examples of economic systems, but none of them are communist and none of, none of them are capitalist. So neither of those are present in the Bible because they just didn't exist yet as an economic system. But you have examples of aspects of each in the Scripture. So Acts 2, the Christians voluntarily become communal. Voluntarily. That's the distinction. And you have socialism in the Scripture where Joseph taxes the Egyptians and then saves the the entire Middle Eastern world by having grain for seven years during a famine. That's socialism. But you also have people working hard and reaping the fruits of their labor. So they're all there. And the Bible's not promoting one or the other. It's just giving these stories, I think. Except that good came from each one. Good came from that communal living. Good came from that social living. And good came from that, you know, pull up your bootstraps and work hard living. Howard. So I'm just going to repeat what you said so people can hear. He said that these, were, these systems of economics were not Holy Spirit-driven, but they were created by... Well, the ones that we have today? Okay, yeah. Joseph, Acts 2... Right, let me repeat that. So uh, he's saying that these systems that I just described from the Bible, they were all inspired by the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, not by a politician. Um, And so that's just something we definitely want to keep in mind. But here's the thing. When we as Christians get into the public sphere and talk about our perspective on economics, I would suggest that we actually often downplay the things like generosity and stewardship and we emphasize the things like a particular economic system. Now, I would say, you know, my perspective is that this is just me talking. This is not, you know, a Christian worldview. This is just my perspective, but it's based on my understanding of our Christian worldview is that all economic systems, they appeal to someone for a reason, So all economic systems that have appealed to people, they've had something in them, some kernel in them, that was good. All economic systems have something in them that is not good. And then all economic systems get get pushed through the, the, the mesh or the filter of being acted out by human beings. Right? 
So you could have a perfect economic system. There's not one that I know of, but you could have a perfect economic system. But when humans get their hands on it, what's going to result? There's going to be something bad come out, right? You're going to have people who are greedy. You're going to have people who are cheating, people who are lazy, people who are not doing their share, people who are taking advantage of others. It's always going to happen. What was that, Daryl? Manipulation, yeah. So if we were in heaven, just think about this for a second. If we were in heaven, would communism work? I think it probably would because everyone would do what they're supposed to do and everyone would share and everyone would be content with what they have. Work hard. I think if God instituted... Yep. Ah, so let's separate two things. Let's separate government forcing people to do something and being in heaven where everyone's perfect and everyone just does what they're supposed to do. So in heaven, in heaven, you know, communism means we're doing things communally. Now, there's an earthly way that's acted out, but there's, this, there's the idea of everyone works, everyone shares. That would work in heaven. If we had capitalism in heaven... Would it work out? Yeah. No one would be greedy. No one would manipulate. Right. No one would take advantage of someone else. What's that? Yep. Feudalism would work in heaven. Feudalism would work in heaven. In fact, heaven describes a type of feudalism where God is in the heavenly city and all the other surrounding nations are bringing tribute to him as the highest lord on earth. Feudalism, okay? That's, in, that's described in, the, in, in Revelation. So we just have to see, like, there are things going on in the Scripture that we are not alert to. And a lot of what we see that's messed up, it's because of... The fallenness of humanity. So I think, I think that, uh, again, this is just my perspective, and, but again, it's based on how I'm kind of pushing it through what I'm trying to do with a biblical grid. Do you see what I'm doing here? So a lot of the things that we like on earth end up bad. I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, uh, Friedman. What's his first name? Huh? Milton Friedman? Milton Friedman wrote this fascinating article in 1970, 50 years ago, about capitalism. And he said that businesses do not have any obligation to promote social good. They don't have any obligation to protect the environment. Their only and sole obligation is to provide profits to shareholders. And that governed business, lots of businesses for the last 50 years. Now, in a perfect world, without sin, that would be fine. Because what would bring the most profit to shareholders would be doing the right thing. In a fallen world, it creates a lot of problems, which we've seen. So we have to see that these systems, the systems are trying, each system is trying to deal with a particular brokenness that's in humanity. So communism is trying to deal with inequality. Inequality is a, can become a major problem when people are oppressing others because they have power. Okay? Inequality, I would say, is not inherently bad. But when it's coming as a result of oppression, it's bad. Capitalism is an attempt to recognize that there is greed in humans, so let's use the greed to bring about a greater good for society. Feudalism was an attempt to recognize that some people did have more power than others and they could use that power to protect the people that they were responsible for. That's why feudalism existed. But it creates this power dynamic that's unhealthy because of fallen humans. Do you have something? Okay. So this is just one example, one example of the many that we have up here. We could look at all of these. We could look at immigration we could look at racism. I mean, I think one of the Christian perspectives about racism 
is that there are, there's only one race of human beings. And at the same time, it recognizes that when one person unfairly treats another because of the color of their skin, it's wrong. Both of those things are true, as far as I can tell, from a Christian worldview. This is tricky. I would say none of these issues, what we would call on their face, are obvious. But here's the thing, and here's where I really want to land today, and and I want to hear from you too. Is it more important that I get the economic perspective right or is it more important that when we disagree that I still love you? You know, the Bible says love your neighbor and love your enemies. That pretty much covers everybody. But loving your neighbor is not an inherently Christian ethic. There are other philosophies and religions that tell you to love your neighbor. But loving your enemy is somewhat unique to Christ. And I would argue that loving your enemy is more a, sh- more a sign that you have the mind of Christ than even loving your neighbor. So how do you treat the people that you disagree with? Hmm? With respect, with grace and mercy, with humility. Does Jesus care more that you're humble or that you get a social issue right? I'm serious. He cares more that we're what? Humble. Does Jesus... I'm sorry? Wise as serpents and yeah, harmless as doves. Yeah. So our wisdom should not be used to take advantage of others but to care for others. Um, as a Christian, how should one act when one has power? In, as, in service. So I, I was sharing in our first Corinth, second Corinthians series that the, the model of, of hierarchy in the Bible, there is hierarchy in the Bible and in the church. Right? There are leaders. Right? But Jesus says, if you're going to be a, the greatest of all, You have to become the least of all. And we have it on his own model that Jesus gave up equality with God and became a servant by coming in the form of a man and then became the servant of all and became the slave of all through his death on the cross. So the greatest Lord in all of history became the servant of every human being. So that's the inverted hierarchy. It takes the human view of power and turns it upside down. It's also flattened, meaning that the people who are greatest are on a very similar level with those who are least. And again, Jesus says, uh, you're not my servants, you're my brothers and sisters. So he, the greatest of all comes down onto our level and brings equality with us. So the view of power is totally different in a Christian worldview than in the, than in the world system. Yeah, Jesus in the, in the Song of Mary says that he's going to bring down the haughty and raise up the lowly. Right? He flattens, he brings down the mountains and raises up the valleys. This is what Jesus does. This is what it means to be a Christian is to, is to have that kind of equalizing element, even though there's still a hierarchy, but then you flip the hierarchy upside down. This is huge. So, I hope you don't mind. Howard, we, had a, we were having a Facebook conversation. He said, why don't we just have a Christian party, Christian political party? But let me ask you this. If we focused on these types of things for a Christian political party, could we ever decide on what we should do? No. If we focus on these things as a platform for a Christian uh, political party, then what would happen is the party could no longer be a party. Because inherent in a political party is the need is the need to exercise authority over people to keep them in line because you need them to vote the way the party's going to vote. 
You need to, you need to protect your platform. I mean, think about it this way. Um, we've seen it in the Catholic Church, but we've also seen it in the Protestant Church. When priests were doing horrible things to children, why was it hidden? Why was it covered up? Why was it covered up in the minds of the people who were covering it up? And again, Protestant, it happens in evangelical churches. Why is it covered up? To protect what, though? It protects the people in power, but I guarantee you at their thinking, we need to protect the mission of Christ. We need to protect the gospel. We need to protect our ability to evangelize. We need to protect the church. Because when fallen beings, fallen human beings, get into power, they end up doing things for what they think are good reasons, but they end up just protecting the institution. And the same thing would happen. It just happens. It happens to Republicans. It happens to Democrats. It happens in evangelical churches. It happens in Catholic churches. It happens in schools. It happens in Boy Scouts. It happens in every institution. Every institution. This is a challenge that we have to, re- we have to wrestle with as believers. Yeah. So here's, yep, Howard's saying, well, if we did it, if we did it like this, right, now here's the thing, and this is something that we have to understand, just, you know, again, a biblical perspective on the world, I think, I think this is a biblical perspective on the world, is this idea that the aims of Christ and the aims of politics, they're not the same. And that doesn't mean that it, politics are something we should not be a part of. Or that's not even to say that politics are inherently bad or evil or anything. But they're not identical. They're not the same. And so what we need to recognize is there were... And, and by the way, the aims of our educational system and the aims of Christ are not the same. The aims of our economic system and the aims of Christ are not the same. The aims of your, of your um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, this is kind of silly, but the aims of your knitting group and Christ are not the same. Like, that's just something that's true. And so there will always be a time where the aims of Christ will come into conflict with the aims of any institutional organization. And by the way, your aims are not the same as the aims of Christ. The scriptural, the, the big challenge and, and, and encouragement, but also rebuke of scripture is that you need to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So whatever your issue is, it will always at some point come into conflict with the way God has called us to live. Because you will never... Unless you submit your will to Christ, your will will, will always have a point. A com- point will come where you'll be in conflict with Christ. And this is just reality. And I wish it weren't true. I wish it weren't true about myself. I wish it weren't true about any of you. What did Paul, you said Paul said? What did Paul say? Paul, yes. Romans Seven, the good I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. He says, I find this law at work is that the sin within me takes the law and turns it, uh, the, my flesh, my sinful nature, but he says the flesh within me takes the law and turns it into sin. 
So even if we had a perfect platform, we would ruin it. Yeah, so David, who's a man after God's own heart, commits adultery, commits murder, you know. Yeah, I think, I, I, I guarantee you that Jesus will return before we get all this fixed. I don't know when he's coming back, but that's definitely going to happen. So, all right, so here's, here's, a, here's a thought for you, or two thoughts, and then I'm going to, like, with the time we have, open it up. In Rome, in Rome, Caesar was Lord. Okay, Caesar is Lord. That was a claim of Rome. So when the early Christians came out and said, Jesus is Lord, they were in direct conflict with the greatest superpower on earth. Okay? And they set themselves up as as a target to the Roman Empire. And I think there's a part of us that realizes, even today, not Lord, Jesus is Lord, and Caesar cannot be Lord because Caesar does bad things, right? But I love this quote by N.T. Wright. He says, you have to remember that in a democracy, you are Caesar. We're the ones who vote in the people who are leading. We're the ones responsible for our government. Right? That's the basic tenet of democracy is that you always get the leaders you deserve because you voted for them, right? And I did too. Unless you didn't vote, and then you really have nothing to complain about. (laughs) But you're Caesar, and you're not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, I mean, we we talked about some of these were political, but there's things up here that are not political, or they shouldn't be political. They've been politicized. Everything's politicized now, right? You know, if you think, go back 25 years and think, was it a political act to use the bathroom? Now that's a political thing. You know, it's just, that's the world we're in. But, but we have to understand that when things become political, they inherently are going to come in conflict with something here because here's the thing, and, and maybe this is, I should have said this earlier. What makes something politics, what makes something political is that the government is involved in it, right? And whenever the government's involved, by definition, by definition, this is not something peculiar to any type of government. It's just a truism. Governments enforce things through the threat of arms, right? So you can be fined for something. If you don't pay your fine, you can go to jail. But if you won't go to jail, they pull out a gun and make you go to jail. You can, uh, you know, like everything, everything that you can do against the government can eventually get to the point where a gun is drawn, right? And we can say at the same time that is necessary for the functioning of society in a fallen world and simultaneously say that is not the ethic of Jesus. And they're both true. And that's just the challenge of living in a fallen world. So when something comes political, it will eventually always come into conflict with the ethic of Christ. That's what I'm saying. And that's all I want to say. But I want to hear from you. Howard, I mean, Horacio. Sarah. Yeah, we have to pray for those in power. What do we do as Christians when people in power abuse their power? Let me say this. I'm assuming that in some form or fashion, 
most politicians or most people in power will in some way, at some point, abuse their power. That's an assumption I make. Now, that doesn't mean they're a horrible leader. They might abuse it in a small way and then correct themselves. That would be wonderful. But it's going to happen at some point or another. It's going to happen to me. It has happened to me. Nothing that you would be appalled at. You really wouldn't, but it's happened. So then when you pray for leaders, you pray for their sanctification if they're believers, and you pray for their salvation if they're not, and you pray that God would limit their ability to abuse. So you pray for their good, but you also pray knowing that everything they do cannot be good. It can't because there's no one perfect. And that's not, a, that's not a failure to acknowledge that. That's actually a good thing. Josh. So Darcy was saying leaders need to have the courage to challenge or rebuke other leaders when they do the wrong thing? Is that basically? And the what's broken? Ah, when a core principle is broken, you can't be silent. You need to speak up. Yeah, that's scary to do, right? So we pray for them to have courage. Yep, Romans 13 is that you submit to the government. This is Paul telling Christians to submit to the Roman government. And he says that they bear the sword because God empowers them to govern and keep society in line. So this is that dual challenge. God is the one who institutes government and gives them arms to enforce the rule of law at the point, to the point of death. And the ethic of Christ says, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, uh, you know, and so even, so again, I'm not saying it's bad that these two come into conflict. I'm saying it's inevitable that conflict. And God has, God has created, we live in a fallen world, and so God has responded to our fallenness. God's the one who institutes the death. In Genesis, after Noah's flood, God gives Noah these rules. One of them is, if a human being takes a life, then you should take his life because he has quenched out the image of God on earth. So the just penalty for that is that he loses his life. So God's instituting capital punishment at the exact same time that he's working to restore and redeem all those who are subject to death. It's going to be cut and dry, simple, easy, straightforward, don't have to think about it. You're always going to have to wrestle. Uh, Adrian. Yes. Yep. Yep. Perfect example. Correct. Oh. Yeah, let me, let me repeat that so everyone online can hear. Adrian was saying, we're also as Christians called to correct and rebuke, and she gave this fa- wonderful example of John the Baptist who did this, and he ended up getting beheaded for it, and that we can in fear only talk about uh, things that are easy and don't have conflict. I totally agree with you, Adrian. And one of the, one of the realities is that we have to learn, and, and I think Jesus is so instructive here, We have to learn how to correct in love. Now, what does correcting in love look like? What most of us think it looks like is not how Jesus did it. So Jesus calls the Pharisees a a brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs. He calls them hypocrites. But check this out. Because he's Jesus, I know for a fact he's doing it because he loves them. And he's doing it because he loves the people that that they're taking advantage of and abusing. This is hard. Your heart... You've got to check your heart. I've got to check my heart over and over and over and over and over again because it will be so easy for me to slip into unloving rebuke 
But if I don't rebuke, I'm not being loving either. That's a great point, Adrian. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think, I, so Howard's saying, love the, love the sinner, hate the sin. And I would say that there's, I think we can find some general agreement in there, but there's also some challenges to that. Because embedded in me is a sin nature. This is hard. But, but, I'm, but I'm not saying you should hate me. Please don't hate me. Uh, it's hard. I, I would love to hear um, something like, love sinners... And then, yeah, in the midst of their sin, just love them. And then somehow, and this is the hard part, lovingly, truthfully challenge and invite into greater righteousness. It's a tough one. I don't know. That's tough. I mean, I know that there's some people in this world who hear love the sinner, hate the, the sin, and they hear that as a dog whistle for let's condemn X, Y, Z. And so, yeah, so how do, you, how do you say that in a way that doesn't, I don't know, Sonia. So Sonia's saying, I'll let you finish. Sonia's saying that we each have our own temptations that are greatest. So some of us have a really hard time correcting someone or rebuking someone. It's, we're afraid of it. Some of us have a really hard time being humble and being merciful and loving in our correcting and rebuking. And so we're going to have to, what was the? Watch our hearts, yep. Yeah. Yeah, where's the place that we're not living out of the fullness of Christ? Because it's equally Christ-like to I mean, we're in a fallen world, so it's going to it's going to taint everything. But it's equally Christ-like for an army to valiantly push across the field of battle in order to, re- re- to release uh, civilian prisoners. That's equally Christ-like as someone trying to steal your shirt or steal your jacket and you give them your shirt too. So, so you're saying as a, as, a, as a parent, sometimes we're too hard on our kids and we're not looking to see what's going on here, be more compassionate, see their hearts, come alongside them and help them. And then sometimes we actually need to be more of a, in a correcting posture and maybe we're too soft in that moment. But it really goes to Howard's point is from way earlier, which is are we being spirit-led in this, because here's the thing, you will never be able to do all these things perfectly this side of heaven. Never. If you want a formula, you, the formula would be so complex that you wouldn't be able to understand it. And no one could write it. 
But the Holy Spirit has this formula inside and out and knows it like the back of his hand. He doesn't even have a hand. <laughs> the Holy Spirit knows how to, tell, how to lead you in every situation. Yeah. Elisa. Yes. That's fine, Howard. Uh, Horacio. Yeah, okay, so let, let me see if I can rephrase that for those at home. But Yelitsa was, uh, um, Ileana, sorry. Uh, it's not my brain, I promise. Ileana was saying that, you know, it's all complex, it's all difficult, but also we still need to be engaged in government and the voting and praying for and how God has used the government to help the people, and absolutely, yeah, like, I don't want you to take from this that Christians should disengage. What I'm hoping you'll take from this is that we need to be way more aware of how we engage. We need to be more intensely alert to our tendencies to engage poorly. That's, that's the thing that gets us. So, I'd like to just end, can we just end in a song and um, we're not going to, you don't have to come up here. I'm just going to sing a song that we can all, just the doxology, which says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And to recognize that government is a blessing. It's a blessing. But just like any other blessing, once we get our hands on it, we can, we can really mess it up. I mean, have you ever been blessed by the Lord and then no fault of the Lord? <laughs> you take that blessing and then you use it in a way that you shouldn't. Yeah, so, yeah, we will. Uh, so in a moment, we'll just sing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But let's pray and then we'll sing. Lord God, our, our hope... Our hope is in you. And I think that's where we started even before we got into this. Our hope is in you. And that, that's the saving grace of all. Is our hope is not in our ability to do things perfectly. Our hope is not in any government or any form of government or any, or any political party or any politician. We don't put our hope there. Lord, we, we don't put our hope in our ability to think and parse out everything we should be able to do in every circumstance. Our hope's not there. Lord, our hope is not in, um, you know, creating some new institution that can do things better. Our hope's not there. Our hope, just like uh, for the Israelites, for their, sal- for their salvation in the physical, you know, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God.
And Lord, that's where we want to be today. We want to be trusting in your name first and foremost. And we want to be trusting in your name till the end. All these other things, they have their place. And they're important. And in some level, like all of creation, they're good. But they're not perfectly good. And you are perfectly good. So Father, help us to to work towards greater faithfulness even as we rest in your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy. Lord, help us to stay engaged in this world but to engage more like Jesus. And Father, help us to have an increasingly... uh, an increasingly divine perspective on all that we do, all that we're a part of, so that we can navigate a little better or a lot better than we, than we could on our own and than we have in the past. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.